0: Well, we're wrapping up this series renew today. We've been in this whole year so far. Uh, I love at the beginning of a year to talk about uh, some ways that we can get the year started on the right foot. We love to talk about the principle at the first at the gathering. And that is why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting when we start our year. And uh, usually like to think about things we can renew or things that we can begin as we start our new year. And so uh, I've had fun teaching this series. And today we finish it up with renewing our commitments, renewing our commitments. And so we'll think about some of the things that we've committed to today as we close out this series and renew, because sometimes those commitments, uh, they get a little bit weaker as time goes on. Sometimes when we commit to things, we've got no idea what we're getting into in the first place, do we? You made a commitment you just had no idea exactly what you were saying yes to when I was 16 years old I had a Jeep Wrangler. It was my first car. I loved it. As soon as I got it, it became my entire personality. And uh, it was a Jeep thing. You just wouldn't understand, I guess. And so I had this Jeep and I I grew up in the low country in South Carolina. And uh, around there, me and all my friends, we like to do something called mudding. And if you're unfamiliar, mudding is where you just go drive through mud and it's fun, I guess, and uh, it destroys your car and your self-esteem sometimes, and I-, I would get stuck all the time going out mudding, and as a 16-year-old, I had a real limited pool of people that I could call when I got stuck. It was mostly my redneck friends, and, uh, and I never wanted to have to be in a scenario where I had to call my dad to come out there, uh, because that is a nightmare scenario. One time, I did go mudding with my, now he's my brother-in-law. Back then, he was my friend, and he he had a Jeep and there was this big mud hole. And I said, Jared, you should totally go through that first because I think your Jeep is more capable. And he said, okay, cool. And he went in and it was up to the windshield and we had to call his dad. And it was the angriest I've ever seen anybody. And eventually they had to get a front end loader to come with a tractor and pick it up out of the mud is how stuck it was. And so I had this problem that I kept getting stuck and uh, I wanted a winch. If you don't know what a winch is, it is, it's, it's from Jurassic Park. It's what's on the Jeep. That the the, the Dilophosaurus eats Ned when, uh, anyways, Dennis Nedry, and so. It's this big cable that you wrap around a tree, and it's got a motor. It pulls you out from getting stuck. But they're very expensive. And I was 16. I have very little amount of money. Uh, you know, minimum wage back then was five twenty-five an hour. Somebody, come on. And so uh, we we I, I needed this winch. My mom had a problem also, and her problem was that she wanted me to sing and dance in show choir with my sister. And so together we saw a solution in our combined problems. She told me that if I would sing and dance for one year in show choir that she would purchase a winch for me. Uh, To me this felt like a great deal. I said absolutely let's do it and I auditioned and got through somehow and uh, it was immediately after I had gotten through the audition that I realized I had committed to something that I was not prepared for. Um, I, 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 the winch was awesome and it was great to be able to get unstuck from the mud. But what I had committed to was a class two days a week in high school where I would have to both sing and dance at the same time, sing on pitch and dance in rhythm at the same time. And I was born with all the rhythm of a toddler. I'm telling you, I mean, I'm, uh, it was like the most... You guys, my sister was already in it, and so since she was very good at singing and dancing at the same time, they floated me through the auditions. It was nepotism at its finest. And it was as soon as we had our first rehearsal that the choir director realized what a monumental mistake he had made. For the rest of the year, I would be relegated to the back corner just outside the lights over there so that they couldn't see me dancing. I, 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 when we did our annual performance, it was West Side Story. They gave me the only part in the whole play that had no singing or dancing in it. I, I was the pharmacist. I, I regretted it every single Tuesday and Thursday, this decision that I had made. And the reality is, sometimes we make commitments and we have no idea what we are saying yes to until we're in it. I think, have you ever made a commitment like this? Because I think marriage can be like that sometimes. It is a, is a, especially if you get married young. Uh, if you get me, I got married, I was twenty three years old and you know we were a very wise twenty three for sure. but at twenty three years old, you know, you're focused in on the wedding and you're getting everything prepared for the ceremony and you want to make sure you get the vows right and you got the the right clothes to wear and the proper venue picked out and all these details. And we spend hours and hours planning the wedding and we forget that immediately following the wedding is we're going to be married for the rest of our life. It's a big commitment. We do this with kids when we become parents. There has never been a parent of a firstborn child that has had any idea what they were getting into. I mean, you're at the hospital and all these professionals are just prepared to send you home with something you have no idea how to care for. It's terrifying. Parenting is like this. A lot of times we get into a relationship with Jesus and it can be this way. We get into a relationship with Jesus and it's because we know our need for him. We recognize our need for God, our need for the spiritual. We recognize that we have holes in our heart that we want to be filled. And so we commit our life to Jesus, but then as as soon as we get into it, we realize that practicing the ways of Jesus, that following him, that finding freedom and discovering our purpose and all these things that operate in the life of faith are difficult. A lot of times we make these commitments and we just, we have no idea what we're getting into. And then we get into it and those commitments begin to waver. You have to make a choice at that point. You either go all in and double down on those commitments and learn how to stick with them for the long haul or you get out. And I hope that if you're in here today for some of those areas that I mentioned, you're ready to go all in on these commitments. But maybe you need a little bit of renewal in those areas. You need to renew some of these things that you've committed to. Because the reality is a lot of things seem to get in the way of these commitments. I've got a list because I love lists. Honestly, I can make a list about all the reasons. I love a list. Oh, James chapter 5. Uh says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. James writes in his letter this important statement because the expectation on us as followers of Jesus is that when we say yes to something, that is the end of it. We shouldn't have to swear, by Odin's beard, I will not do this thing. We should be able to just say it, and there it is. Our commitments are meant to mean something, to be lifelong and serious commitments. But even for those of us that are doing our best to live that way, things get in the way. Things like time. Time gets in the way. Time creates complacency. The longer the gap is between your yes and today, the more difficult it becomes to remember why we gave that yes in the first place. Because we get complacent, not on purpose. Uh, We just forget to work on whatever it is that we've committed to. In our marriage, we just take each other for granted. Uh, we go through our daily routines and we never really connect. We never really see each other. Sure, we talk every day. Good morning, good morning. Uh, good night, good night. You know, what are you eating? I'm eating this thing. And, and we, we have these menial conversations throughout the day, but we never have intentional space in our relationships in order to really see one another. With our kids, boy, it's hard. I mean, especially if you have small kids, you're just so them tired all the time. So we sit on our phones while they play or we give them an iPad or a TV to look at so we can have some peace and quiet. And at first it's just once or twice or here and there. But over time we do it more and more and more until our commitment to that child has grown complacent. With our friends and building friendships, sometimes we just don't feel like keeping plans and so we keep canceling. I'm telling you, it is like a rush the first time you cancel plans and realize you can just sit on your couch in your sweatpants. As a, as a mostly introverted person, there are very few things that I enjoy more than a last minute cancellation. <laughs> Spend all day getting ready for something and then you don't have to do it. It's like, mm, God is good all the time. <laughs> the problem is, That if we get complacent in our friendships and we keep canceling and we keep canceling and we keep not showing up, we're going to stop getting invited places. And those relationships that we needed are no longer available in our lives. Uh, With church, it's easy to get complacent because it's so easy not to go. The weather is too nice or the weather is too bad. We get a Goldilocks mentality. Everything's got to be just right in order for us to invest in our spiritual health. It goes on and on and on and on. Time creates complacency. The second reason that we waver in our commitments is because our priorities get out of order. Our priorities get disordered. If we do not intentionally order our schedule according to our priorities, our priorities will be ordered according to our schedule. If we don't intentionally order our schedule according to our priorities, our priorities will be ordered according to our schedule. Very few of us sit down and take the time required to identify our priorities and plan around them. And as a result, gets out of order. We, we just let life happen to us as it comes. We have places we have to be, things we have to do, things that, that just end up on our calendars. And we keep adding these things to our calendars. We keep saying yes. We keep pouring into them. And at the end of all of it, if you look back and see how you actually spent your time, for many of us, we would be shocked to learn that it wasn't at all on the things we would say mattered to us our priorities get disordered. And then the other reason why we need some recommitment from time to time is because we've forgotten our why. When we commit to something, there's usually a compelling reason that we commit to it in the first place. We commit to our marriage because we fell in love We commit to physical health and to getting healthy because we want to age well. We commit to the church because Jesus changed our life. We commit for all of these good reasons, but the further we get away from those reasons, the easier it is to forget them all together forgetting your why. You know, I, that one of the things that was given this is a sidebar, but a, a piece of advice given me when we came here to start this church was to write your why down in a journal. And I did it, it's two pages long and at the time I thought this is kind of a menial exercise and I'm doing it because my mentor told me to and I do everything he tells me to do. But I can't tell you how many times in the last 7 years I've gone back and reread that because the rain came and the wind's blew and and there there were there were moments where it was so difficult to keep going where hard conversations would come along or impossible moments where I had nothing to say or seasons where things just did not go where we expected they would go. And I needed to be reminded of why we had made this commitment. It started out as two pages. My why is five pages long in that journal now because I keep adding reasons that we are here and what we exist for. Our why is so important to what keeps us engaged and keeps us committed. And if we don't keep that why in front of us, it's just too easy to forget about it and then we become complacent, and then our priorities get disordered. And so let's take a few minutes today to talk about some big commitments in our lives, some important things that we've committed to that we can renew today. Because there's good news. There's good news for us. Every single one of us, you are not alone if you're sitting there thinking, "Uh uh-oh, maybe it's me. You are not alone. Every single one of us falters in some way. All of us have moments where we get it wrong, where we aren't getting it right, where we get disordered, where we get complacent, where things get in the way, life gets in the way and prevents us from becoming who we want to be. It happens to everybody, but we have such a good and gracious God. And we're so grateful for that because the good news for you today is that there are an abundance of second chances for you to get it right again. Uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That is Peter speaking to the people that just like a month and a half ago had crucified Jesus. It was kind of a dangerous time to be using those words, but he declared it to him that even you can turn yourself around and get it right we have the opportunity to repent. Repent just means to turn it around. And we may have moved away from the commitments that we made, but it's never too late to turn around and renew them so that we can have a better tomorrow. And so let's renew our commitments by taking out these obstacles that we're talking about today. Even when we become complacent, we can be renewed. When our priorities are out of order, they can be reordered. And when we forget our why, we can be reminded again. So a few key areas that we can renew our commitments that as we close out this series, I encourage you to renew your commitments in today. Number one, renew your commitment to God. Renew your commitment to God. Today, as we end this series about renewal, I'll take a couple minutes to encourage you that you can renew your commitment to God. I spent a lot of last week talking about the idea of being renewed in your spirit and how you do it. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen because the whole message was about this point. I've been talking a lot lately about what it really means to follow Jesus. It's not just about believing that there is more to this faith than simply saying, I believe. You begin simply by believing. Uh, That is all you have to do to enter into the relationship. There's no expectation on you when you enter the relationship. There is no list of things you have to do to enter the relationship. All you have to do to begin your relationship with Jesus and to get right with God is to say, I believe. But that isn't where he expects you to end it. And just like every other relationship, after you say, I do, there is a lot of work involved. Jesus doesn't just want you to know him. He wants you to follow him, to become like him, to do the things that he did. But life gets in our way. I mean, we got a hundred different directions, poor self-control sometimes. Our priorities get mixed up. And we just, we forget how badly we need this relationship. We forget the joy that we felt when we first entered into it. The hope, the peace he brings us. And above all, the satisfaction that comes from living your life the way you're supposed to live it. But it's never too late to get back to that space. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, God says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The Bible uses this word repent, a lot. It it shows up over and over. It was the constant cry of John the Baptist in the wilderness to the Jewish people. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And maybe you've heard it more often just in a pulpit from an angry preacher yelling, repent for the day of the Lord is near and the end is coming and you better get it right. And all this kind of stuff has turned us off to this word. This word repents almost repulses us as a culture where we're like, oh, yeah, I don't know about this guy. This preacher just said repent like seven times in a row. Let's take it a little bit. Let's be cool, man. You know, let's take it down a notch. And I think it's a shame because it's such a beautiful word that really just means that no matter where you are in the pathway, you have the opportunity to just turn around and start going in the other direction. To start going back in the right direction, to get going to the space that you were always meant to go. It's a beautiful word, to turn, to return to what matters. If we repent and humble ourselves and call on His name, He won't just forgive us; He'll give us healing. I love the story of Peter and Jesus after the resurrection. If you don't know it, uh, Jesus was crucified. We'll talk about that another time, uh, but. In the night that Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified, Peter was asked several times if he knew Jesus. And he said, I don't even, I never even heard of the guy. And so Peter is one of Jesus's closest followers. He's one of his best friends. We see that he is a part of his inner circle. And on the worst night of Jesus's life, when he desperately needs his people to be in his corner, Peter is out there running away, hiding, and when a middle school girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of the people that are with Jesus? He's like, Jesus? Never even heard of the guy. Don't know him. don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's a pretty big hurt. I don't know if you've ever had a friend not show up for you in the exact moment where you deeply needed them to, but it is a unique kind of wound. And so Peter does this, and then Jesus resurrects. And he sees these at first. I think he's pretty excited about it. But I think over time, that began to get in his head. Wow, I really let him down. And Peter actually goes back to fishing after a little while. He's, he, he's been trained to be a follower of Jesus, to go start the church, to go bring the gospel into the world. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. And yet, in this story in John chapter 21, Jesus sees J- Peter and a couple of the other guys. They're just out fishing, which is what their career was before they became followers of Jesus, followers of the way. And so anyways, Jesus calls them in. He cooks breakfast. And he and Peter are having this conversation. And he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied that he ever knew him. Three times Jesus gives him the opportunity to declare that he loves him. He gives him the opportunity to repent just as many times as he turned away. And just as many times as you turn away, just as many times as you turn your back on him, run from him, deny you know him, he will give you just as many opportunities to come back to him. And he gives this calling to him every single time, then feed my sheep. He reinstates him into the purpose of his creation, which is the same thing that he's waiting to do for you. And so here's a few practical ways that you can renew your commitment to him. First, practice his ways. I've been a broken record lately and I don't care. Uh, The spiritual disciplines will change your life. If you are believing in Jesus, but not living the way that Jesus lived, doing the things that he did in order to become more like him, in order to understand his mind, in order to, to become more like him and do the things that he did in this world, Uh, then you are missing the best part of this relationship. We just started something called Practicing the Way. It is a category of small groups that meets a little bit before small groups semesters start and ends a little bit after. So it's a little bit outside those bounds. Uh, We have a large group teaching followed by small groups. It is very simply just a space for you to learn and practice the spiritual disciplines. That's all it is. We're going to do one month at a time, one discipline for one month at a time over the course of the year. And you can sign up for those small groups after service today right out there. But the whole, the whole thing about practicing the way is that I believe that as you learn these disciplines, you will feel renewal in your spirit and you will be renewed in your commitment to God. The more you do what he did, the more you become like him. The second thing you can do is serve his church. From the moment that he began his ministry, Jesus was doing two things to change the world. Two very intentional things with the goal of changing the world. One, he was preparing to die on the cross so that you could have salvation. He was preparing the world for this moment where he could make it possible for you and I to enter into relationship with him. The other thing that he was doing was training leaders and setting the foundation that the apostles would continue in Acts and the first century for the church. He was creating it right then and there in the ministry that he was doing with those apostles. And the thing about the ministry that he established and that we see beginning at the bottom of Acts chapter 2 after the church receives the power of the Holy Spirit and carrying on all through the book of Acts and in every narrative of the early church and going all the way up today is one clear vision for the church. And that is that it would be a group of people. Not just one person, a group of people moving in unison to bring the gospel into the far corners of the earth. He says in, uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, that it was he who gave some to be apostles, Jesus, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. These are the different spiritual gifts that operate within the, the, the staff of the church, the leadership level of the church. But that is not the whole church, because it says their role is to equip the saints, that's you, for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. That's all of us. That the whole goal of training and creating leadership in the church is just to help others discover their purpose and make a difference in the cities where they live. You were made to serve the church and together we were made to change a city. One of our core values here is that our city is our responsibility. And we believe that that is not something that is just held by a small and certain few here in the church, that it is not just about me. It is not, and it never will be, that it's about us. And so if you wanna renew your commitment to him, get on the dream team. Help us bring the gospel to life in this city. And then another way, and I think this is a crucial way that we can get our hearts right and realigned in our faith is to return the tithe. During 21 days of prayer, you hear me talk a lot about the principle of the first. Uh, It's a keystone belief in my belief system. I believe that God deserves and asks for the first of everything, of everything. Uh, It starts in Genesis. It goes all the way to Revelation, this principle. And that's why I give him the first of my day. I wake up and worship. I give him the first part of my week here on Sunday. I give him the first part of my year through fasting and prayer. I give him the first part of, I give him the first of everything that I can think of to give. And the Bible affirms this idea of returning the first part of our finances as well. The reason why is pretty simple. One of the first things that we put before God is our desire for self-sufficiency money becomes this idol this thing that wedges itself between us and him because it represents me depending only and solely on me but god doesn't want you to think that way or to be wired that way in deuteronomy 14:23 it says the purpose of the tithe the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put god first in your lives jesus said where your treasure is there your heart will go also And so if your treasure goes first to the boat, then your heart's going to be with the boat. If your treasure goes first to the van, then the heart's going to be with the van. But if our treasure goes first to God, our heart goes first to God. I believe that this principle of the first, specifically through our finances, is one of the easiest ways for us to connect our hearts to him. And so when you budget, and it doesn't, maybe 10% sounds insane to you. I get it. Begin with just a little bit. But here's the key, here's the linchpin. Let it be the very first thing that you budget. When you write your budget out every month, I hope you write a budget out every month. Maybe you're out there just going wild with it, good for you, that's gonna come back to you one day. Um, when you write your budget every month, the very first thing is what you're giving to God. And where your treasure is, there goes your heart, okay? Renew your commitment to God. Second commitment that you can renew today is your commitment to your family. Renew your commitment to your family. Uh, I think it's so easy to disorder our priorities and grow complacent when it comes to our marriage and for the parents, the relationship we have with our kids. And so let me talk first about how we recommit ourselves in our marriage. It begins with remembering the way that a marriage is supposed to work. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is the mission statement of your marriage. Maybe you've heard a preacher somewhere quote this next verse, but leave that one out. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It's a very popular passage. Paul opens up by telling us where this is going. He says, let me just be clear about something as I get into this conversation about marriage and relationships. It is about submission one to the other. And then he gets into this section uh, where he says, wives, let your husbands lead the home. But he's just said, husbands, don't get carried away just yet. I want you to know we're submitting to one another. And then he's got actually a much longer portion set aside for them. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Die to yourself to serve your wife to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one's ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. They didn't have a great understanding of mental health back then. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The vision that Paul is trying to communicate for marriage is not a picture of one person lording over another person. It is a picture of a home where a husband and a wife serve one another, value one another, and love one another as much as they love themselves. He's saying that the moment you get to a space in your marriage where you are loving yourself more than you are loving your spouse, something is off in the marriage. Because here's the reality. For many of us, when complacency gets into our marriage, the first thing to go is selflessness. In seasons where we get our priorities out of order, where time and complacency creeps in, we forget our why, the first thing that happens is we stop loving our wives the way that Christ loved the church, which is sacrificially more than ourselves. If we take a look at our time and our words and the decisions that we make, we see that we're serving ourselves first, that we're being selfish in the way that we operate in every level. And then we wonder what's wrong with our marriages. And it's important to know, too, that the reason this passage begins with what you do together and then breaks it apart, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is because this has to happen in conjunction. These things have to happen together. It has to be a decision that you both make to operate selflessly and sacrificially in your relationships, how it works. It's love and respect, submit to one another. I fight for you, you fight for me. I've got your back and you've got mine. Because if we don't do it together and one person is acting selflessly, and you are acting selfishly, then we can teeter on the verge of an abusive relationship. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually. Maybe it's just relational neglect. And so you gotta do it together. That's how it was made to work. So renew this commitment to one another. I commit to serve you and to honor you and to love you as much or more than I do myself. And you've got to renew, maybe you've got to renew your commitment to your kids. It's hard at every stage. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Y'all, I'm out there exasperating my children on a daily basis. I was exasperating Dagny yesterday, bless her heart. Your kids need you more than they need, especially when your kids are living at home when they're small. They need you more than they need anyone else on this planet. And there is no one else on planet Earth who can give to your children what they need from you. Do not get complacent in this. The next generation is hanging on the decisions that you wake up and make every single day if you're a parent. If you aren't intentional about helping them shape their worldview with time, intentionality, kindness, and the gospel message of Jesus, this world is going to shape your children's worldview instead. And that is not what's best for your kids. Do not let YouTube shape your children's worldview. They need it from you dads. They need it from you moms. And it is hard and exhausting work. Oh, my goodness gracious. I've never had one of my children need my full attention at a time where I have 100% relational capacity. It is always when I am completely and absolutely exhausted that they need me the most. But the commitment that I made when I brought them into this world, and I'll bring them out of it. The commitment that I made. The commitment that I made was to give them even what I don't have to give and to train them and bring them up in the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the instruction of the Lord. So don't forget your why. You are shaping a generation. Renew your commitment to them. And finally, renew your commitment today to yourself. To yourself. I think a lot of times for, it depends on your personality, but for many of us, the place where we really get complacent, the priority that we really get disordered, the issue that we have is that the more, the more full that life gets, the busier that we get, the harder we go forward, the more and more and more we neglect ourselves. So maybe this year you need to make a commitment to invest in yourself physically, you know, maybe it's, it's time to start eating right, you know? I'm at a realization now at 35 where I, 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 it's just hitting me that if I eat chicken wings every day, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. Gotta change some things. Maybe you need to make some physical commitments to yourself, get out and move every day, eat a little bit healthier, take care of your body. The Bible says that your body is a temple that it's a temple, that you house the presence of God. You are not your own, and so honor God with your bodies. He does care, and it does matter what you do with this physical body. So take care of it. Renew your commitment there. Maybe it's an emotional thing. You've neglected yourself emotionally. You need to get into a better space of emotional and mental health this year. You need to take some drastic steps to do it. Maybe it's a spiritual health. We talked about last week, we just talked about to extent, all the ways you are both physically, physical and spiritual as, creator, as a creation. And so feed your spirit this year. Make some commitments. I love this passage. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, 14, he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I should know I'm one of them. I'm awesome. It's almost what David was saying here. I know that full well, he says. Maybe for you this year, you just, you're not there. You can't say that. Maybe you don't feel like you're in a space where you can look at the way God made you and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you need to renew a commitment to yourself to get to that space this year. I believe you can. Philippians 1 6. It's one of my favorite passages. Uh, It says, I am certain of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. I was uh, 15, 16 years old. I remember a teenager and I was in big trouble. You guys, big, big trouble. Uh, I'm not going to give you the details. It's not important. Uh, I was grounded for life though. I can tell you that I'm still not allowed to hang out with you on the weekends. I'll get my cell phone back one day. But uh, I was in my room feeling like just the worst person who had ever lived and thinking my parents hate me, I hate me, it's over. And you remember when you are a teenager, how that can be, you can, in your head, this one setback can feel like the whole world has ended. And uh, it was 6 a.m. My dad always wakes up really early and a little piece of paper slid under my door, pro move. And I go over there, I saw it, I was awake and I I picked it up and I read it. And it was just that passage, Philippians 1.6, being certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ. And I know that it was my dad's way of saying, hey, it ain't over, man. You're gonna be all right. God's going to pick up the pieces. You can pick up the pieces. You keep going forward. And he's got big dreams for you. He is not even remotely done with you yet. If you're in here today and you've had a season of complacency or disordered priorities or whatever it might be, let me just encourage you with this. If it is not the day of Christ, if you don't hear trumpets outside and all kinds of crazy stuff happening, He ain't done with you yet. And it doesn't matter how far you think you've gone. The beautiful beautiful aspect of the word repent is that it's not about how far down the road of bad decisions you've gone. You can repent and just turn around and start going back down the right road. It's incredible. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you would carry it on to completion Maybe you're 25 years old and you've got, you know, you're still just trying to figure things out in this life. Or maybe you're 70 years old and you're thinking, I I don't know if there's anything left for me. Let me tell you right now that I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will keep carrying on to completion on the day of Christ. He is not done with you yet. And so be renewed this year. Be renewed in your commitments. Be renewed in your steadfastness. Be renewed in your why. Be renewed every time you wake up and get your day going. Be renewed in what that day is going to look like. You can keep growing and keep changing and keep making an incredible impact in this space and in those intimate relationships in your life. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you would like one, you want to begin that journey. You, you want to get into that space and keep going forward. You are, maybe you're just tired of feeling like there's never an end to this struggle. Maybe you're just tired of feeling like nothing that you're doing makes a difference anyways. And you're ready to start to receive some of this blessing of peace that he offers you and get into this struggle with the rest of us of following him and living in this world. All you have to do is believe and say this prayer with me. Every eye closed goes like this. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the mistakes that I've made. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I need you. I wanna do it with you. I know it won't be easy, but I know it'll be better. So all that I am, I am yours.